Welcome to the Help One Child podcast. This is the show that equips adoptive and foster parents with information from experts in the fields of trauma and attachment. Our hope is that with every episode, you will find helpful insights and practical parenting tips. My name is Kristen Wynn Reyes, and I'm your host today. Do you have a child who joined your family through adoption, foster care, or a kinship placement? If yes, you're listening to the right podcast. Today, our topic is felt safety and connection strategies with our guest, Erin Bouchard. She's author, a speaker, advocate, educator, and founded Trauma-Based Parenting because she's passionate about helping foster and adoptive parents understand early trauma and attachment. Erin and her husband, Joel, have been foster parents since 2011. They adopted out of the foster care system in 2014. They are kinship, foster adoptive, and bio parents. So over the years, Erin has learned a lot through their experiences with early trauma. She teaches and educates about connection, attachment, trauma, grief, and loss. Her first book, Trauma-Based Parenting, is on the way. Help One Child has really appreciated her collaboration and contributions over these last several years with blog articles, video usage permission for support group curriculum, and podcast guest appearances. So Erin, welcome and thank you for joining us once again today from Ontario, Canada. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, and let's jump right in. Can you share as we begin our conversation the importance of safety for children joining our home through a kinship, foster, or adoptive placement? Absolutely. So obviously safety is so important for our kids and we know that and we go through all these rigorous practices in order to be a foster parent, to be a kinship parent or an adoptive parent, opening up our home and, and going through the home study process. There is a huge difference between a safe home and a child feeling safe inside of that home. Really looking forward to kind of diving into this topic with you a little bit today because I think it's something that sometimes we miss as parents. So tell us, um, what is felt safety, Erin, and how does it differ from safety? Yeah, so felt safety is the concept that the child feels safe in their home. And when our kids come to our home at the beginning, they often come from a place of unsafety, right? So many times their circumstances that lead them to coming into care means that there was some unsafety happening inside of their home. And so when they come to our home, they don't necessarily know how to act within a safe home. And they also don't feel safe right away. We're strangers to them. The house is different. The school is different. The siblings are different. The meals you cook are different. And so our goal as foster parents is to help our children feel safe within our home. And the biggest way we do that is through connection and really focusing on helping that child feel safe. Okay, and how can we experience children, even those who joined our families years ago, move into a deeper sense of felt safety? And is it kind of similar to recovery that it continues to come up and we need to continue to tend to it? That's a really good question and it's kind of twofold. So felt safety is an ongoing continuum, right? So we often talk about helping our kids feel loved and they have buckets with holes in them and so we're constantly pouring love into them and keeping it full despite those holes. It's a similar kind of concept with felt safety, right? When they first come to our home, of course, we're going to be focusing on helping them feel safe. We're going to tell them that we're the safe adults. We're going to meet their basic needs. We're going to feed them. We're going to get them new clothes. We're going to do all the things that help them feel secure and safe within our home. But it also has to be something that continues. So whether you've had your placement for 
a week or three years. It's something that you really need to focus on as a foster or kinship parent. It's just really making sure that child feels safe and feels connected to you. And it's super easy. One of the big things I wanted to talk about today is how so often as foster parents or adoptive parents or kinship parents, as our kids get older, we see them gaining independence. We see them wanting to do things and go for bike rides and have friends over and do older kid things, right? Teen things. And what we don't often realize is that that child still has that need for felt safety just as much as that little guy did, just as much as the baby or the toddler or the school-age child. It's just a different way of connection that it kind of has to ebb and flow as our children get older. I'm just curious, for a child who may be struggling with felt safety, kind of act out toward the parent with a lot of rejection, boundary crossing, aggressive behaviors. Can that be related to the child not feeling safe or is that more of an attachment connection or any way to speak into that? Because in our support group, we're hearing often of some of the aggressive trauma behaviors and then often it's most taken out on a parent in the household and sometimes also siblings in the household. Absolutely. Yeah, such a good question. I believe that it's related. And we have talked a little bit before in podcasts, and I know that you've talked before about the fight-flight response, right? So when a child feels like they're in danger, they go into fight-flight. And so that is directly related to feeling safe, right? So our children often in unsafe situations have gone into fight flight before. So maybe in their home before they came to us, maybe as they were being removed, that fight flight response becomes the natural ingrained one they go into. And so if in your home, there is a situation where they start to feel unsafe, uh, maybe it's a sibling getting upset with them. Maybe it's being told though, or not knowing what the evening is holding. And so that child moves then into fight flight. And then that's where we see the aggressive behavior can be directed towards one parent, can be directed back towards their siblings. It can be just a massive explosion. It can also be a retreat, right? So I'm, I'm with my family, we're eating supper, then I don't feel safe. So I'm trying to run away. I'm trying to go back to my room. I'm trying to get away from the situation. And so oftentimes as parents, we're looking at that behavior and we're seeing the frustrating behavior that's coming out of it, the aggression, the rudeness, the yelling, and we're not recognizing that that's actually because the child's not feeling safe in this moment. And so we can do some strategies for connection in that moment that will help bring them back down and out of that fight flight uh, response. But we also need to be working on doing those connection strategies throughout the day when they're at a more regulated state so that we're just filling that bucket of felt safety really high. What are some of these connection strategies for better attachment, trust, and felt safety with our children? It is a lot more natural with little kids. So I have some strategies for younger kids, and then I also have some strategies for older kids, for teens. With our young kids, we do a lot of things like rocking or eye-to-eye contact. We feed them, we hold them, we snuggle, we read books with them, right? All of those things naturally build felt safety because it makes them feel connected to us. Their bodies begin to trust us, to come to us when they're feeling sad, when they're feeling overwhelmed, when they're dealing with something. So meeting their needs, quality time together, listening to them having fun together, so dancing or going to story time at the library, things like that, taking them to their visits and having that time in the car with them, showing affectionate, being silly together, allowing them to have negative emotions and labeling them, you know, as parents putting our phones away and just having that quality time with them, and then creating traditions together, dancing or singing, 
getting down to their eye level and playing tag or hide and seek. Those are all natural things that happen in our day-to-day kind of interactions with our kids. You know, it's very easy. Oh, toddler needs his diaper changed. So I got to get them dressed in the morning. I'm doing bath time with them. I'm singing to them as I'm getting them ready. Things like that really just build that connection and that felt safety. Then we have older kids who come to our house where you know, it's not so natural because they are more independent and they should be more independent, right? We're not often showering our 10-year-olds or, or changing diapers of a 14-year-old. So it doesn't come so naturally. So as our kids get older, though, that need for connection doesn't go away. And it also, it just has to be more intentional. We have to plan for it. So doing things like telling them a story or talking about the day they came to your house or telling them stories from when they were little, looking at pictures together. Maybe they have life books from foster homes they were in previously or pictures from when they lived with their parents and pulling those out and looking at those together. Reading a story together, you know, choosing a chapter book and reading a chapter every night before bed, doing some baking or cooking together being in the kitchen together and just and talking as you're doing it. Looking them in the eye, putting down your phone, or if you're in the middle of doing something that needs to be done, just, you know, letting them know like, hey, I just quickly am finishing up this email and then my attention is fully yours rather than trying to go back and forth. Being interested in the things they're interested, you know, hearing about the Pokemon cards that they're into or the Lego that they're building or the video games, being silly with them, sharing a snack, playing a game together, painting nails or brushing hair. You can have those moments of tactile touching while you're talking or just being present with them, rubbing their back, joining in their play, listening to them, telling them you love them, telling them you're proud of them, writing a note or a text back and forth, having a little notebook that you send back and forth with little messages in it, talking less and just listening to them, like asking them open-ended questions and then just listening to what they have to say. So again, it's just sometimes so much easier with our little guys because we can see it and it just you know, in our day-to-day naturally happens and we're really focused on that connection, but looking for opportunities to do it with our our kids as they get older and especially as they, you know, head back to school and they're away from us all day. Is there something we can do every day when they come home from school or every day when they get off the bus that kind of instantly builds that connection again, connects in with them rather than just saying, how was your day at school? Is there something you know, some kind of routine or tradition you can create. I love that. What are strategies when you have a lot of jealousy or competition for that connection and attention between siblings, which can lead to the siblings having arguments or, you know, aggression toward each other or toward primary caregiver? Thinking, too, of children that reject the connection really overtly, like really defiant, who are maybe tweens and just, like, don't want your attention when you are available and do want it when you're giving it to their sibling? Great question. As you know, I have a very big age gap, right? My kids right now are 14, 11, and almost four. Sometimes when I am doing these basic things with my youngest, it does come across like I'm playing favorites or that I'm spending more time with her. And so we have a lot of conversations in our home about how it would be really weird for mom to come and give you a bath now. Or I could wake you up when she wakes up so you guys have equal amount of time, right? So helping them understand that I love all three of them equally, their needs just look different and that's how it should be, but I'm still going to be intentional and I still love them as much and trying to take away that jealousy and just those constant reminders of like, I love you. I love doing this stuff for you when you were this age, but I also love that I don't have to do it all for you and you're, you're getting older and you're learning how to do things yourself. So just trying to take away some of that fight 
and then just also like really teaching them that life isn't always fair so my middle child and I just had this conversation I had a situation at my store that wasn't really fair so I used that as an example to be like okay well I had to just do it because even though it wasn't fair I had to work through it so giving them real life examples of times when life is hard but that doesn't change my love for you and as a foster parent I always tell my kids to like whether we have three kids in our home or five kids in our home or seven kids in our home or you know, my love multiplies. It doesn't divide. Like, I still love you guys. You guys matter so much to me. And just trying to find time to be intentional. While we're talking about that, too, I find one thing I've really noticed in the last uh, couple years is that I have three kids, so I have a middle child. And I am a middle child. And I remember growing up thinking my parents loved my sisters more than me or my parents spent more time with them. And I realized it's because it's so natural. My oldest stays up later once the girls are in bed and him and I have one-on-one time then. We'll play a video game together or a card game together or we'll talk or sometimes we'll go for a walk if my husband's home. And it's just easy, right? Like there's a natural time for us to spend one-on-one time. And my youngest, she's almost four, so she gets up earlier. She's usually up an hour, an hour and a half before my older kids are, especially during the summertime. And so I get to spend this, you know, one hour with her and we'll read books together and do all this other stuff. And so again, there's just naturally these one-on-one times. And so I realized I have to be really intentional with my middle child because there isn't a natural time where it's just me and her every day. Um, So I have to create that, right? So we have to find things. I'll invite her to come and do the groceries with me or come and do an errand with me or I'll get her to go for a walk with just me after dinner. Things like that where I can find that intentional one-on-one time. Sorry, what was the second part of your question? Just the... Oh, the defiant. Yeah, the defiant child who rejects your time and attention when you're giving it to the other sibling or when you're not available. It's kind of like the dance of attachment. It's this push-pull, but it's also about connecting time and... And it's also a control issue, like the child's defining when he or she's available for connecting time, and that doesn't always work in the schedule of, like, the parent. I'm thinking of a particular child I'm aware of who, you know, for years has been in the same household and struggles with attachment and struggles with felt safety. That can look a lot like defiance or meltdowns often, and strategies for that kind of struggling child who's who's been struggling in different ways for a while. I think, personally, that's a push-pull behavior is some of the hardest to deal with as a foster parent because you just want to love that child. They just keep pushing you away. Again, depending on the age of the child and the maturity level of the child, that can be something that you just directly discuss with them that you kind of call out like you're pushing me away and then you're getting upset when I'm far away. My middle child, she was struggling a little bit and so I gently pointed out out a couple things. She was feeling less loved. She was feeling and she vocalized that. And so I said, you know, in the mornings when you get up, You don't come and find me and say good morning. You just start having breakfast and start getting dressed and going on with your morning. Whereas your older brother will come and find Abby and I and hang out with us for a few minutes before he starts. So just kind of pointing out little behavior things that they are doing. You know, she was feeling that we were spending more time with the other kids or we loved them more than her. And so I tried to gently help her see that some of the way you're behaving is contributing to that feeling, right? That that is something you can control and you can change. And just a reminder that our kids sometimes don't know how to function in a safe family. They haven't had a safe adult they can rely on. And so it is such an ingrained behavior to be like, I have to do everything for myself. I have to keep myself safe. I have to worry about what's happening in the home. I have to be kind of extra vigilant, right? And 
that just can take so long sometimes to help break those walls down and to just let that love come through and, and help them learn to trust an adult again. And so if that's something you're struggling with, I would just really encourage you to keep doing the connection. Find what works. And maybe they're going to push you away when you suggest brushing hair or painting nails, but maybe they'd be open for a car ride to go get ice cream. Find something that works with that child. Get on their level. Get interested in what they're interested in. Just keep trying. I know some parents will, you know, if a child's retreated to their bedroom, will bring their, like, favorite card game and just say, hey, I was wondering if you wanted to play this. You know, figure out what they like, what they don't like, and just really try to connect with them on that level. Okay, some really good strategies, yes, because I know some of our listeners will have, you know, children that have great strategies at rejecting or, like, not allowing this kind of love or trust or felt safety to seep in, you know, and there's a lot of defense mechanisms and barriers, too. That is so hard not to take personally, not to feel like, well, that's a reflection of my parenting or a reflection of my love. Again, it's just such an ingrained behavior, so we have to be like, okay, that didn't work, let's try something else, what will work, you know, and not take it as a personal attack against us or the way we parent. And what if the child is making it personal in some of their aggression? I mean, I hear that it's not personal. And what if the child believes it is? Like, what if the child is in their defiance, in their anger, in their lack of feeling safe or trusting, blaming you? Or saying mean things to you personally. Like, believes they're not wanted, believes they're not loved, believes it's your fault. You know, I think that shame piece can come in of, like, Owning any of it is hard, too, sometimes for our kids, and so it's much safer to, like, scapegoat or blame the parent for any of the problem. Yeah, Yeah. and that is our human tendency, right? When something doesn't go right or when we don't like the way something has gone, we want to find somebody to blame. It's so much easier for us to blame this person or this circumstance rather than to be like, is there something I could do? And so, again, it's so hard when you're being attacked and being told it's your fault, but just calling that out, like, that's shame you feel right now. And I'm sorry you feel that way, and I'm here to help you work through that. Because it's our human tendency to find someone to blame. Maturity is the ability to recognize that that's what you're doing, and to take ownership and to apologize, right? And so helping our kids learn those strategies while staying calm ourselves is not easy to do when we're being attacked or called names or being blamed having really good self-care and regulation skills ourselves as the adults so that we can continue to manage that behavior. I think some of the hardest behavior to walk through with our kids. Yes, absolutely. Like, we love them. We accepted them. We brought them into our house. What else do you want me to prove to you? It can feel uh, just overwhelming. I feel like you're naming that the whole brain strategy of name it to tame it. I like that you're suggesting a lot of like open dialogue and not blaming so much, but just gently helping to guide our children to understand what may be at play, what is happening. Yeah, that that sounds like a good strategy. As we come to a close in this conversation, so many good suggestions. Do you have any other practical tips, resources, or suggestions you want to mention about self-felt safety or connection strategies? Yeah. I think it's just so important for our kids to feel loved and to be told, you know, that's a good strategy for older kids is to find things that they're doing right and really praise them for that and really focus on calling out that behavior that we are appreciating or that we're seeing them try, even if they're not nailing it perfectly the first time, you know, just continuing to tell them how much they're loved and how proud you are of them and how happy you are that they're part of your family in your house for however long that is 
And like you said, it's just really important to have that open dialogue with them so that they can talk about how they're feeling and it's a safe place and they can kind of work through and process some of those emotions with you. Well, Erin, thank you. I know I have some takeaways from this conversation for my own family and I'm sure our listeners do as well. So thank you and I hope to have you back for another podcast soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. We hope that you found helpful insights and practical parenting tips from your time with us. See you next time.